History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 346th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Hey, Kelly. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? A little tired? I am. I just, oh, we're <laughs> almost done with the garden. And boy, am I going to be glad to be done with that. We've been working on the front yard, doing a you're ton like of a stuff. You're like a dog with a bone. You're just like, nope, I'm going to get it done right now. Yeah, I just, All of it right now. I feel like I can't just sit and relax if I know there's things that need to be done. Well, neither one of us are good about that, but my body offers more restrictions, I guess. Or you just power through yours and then pay for it later. Yes, I'm very (laughs) foolish. (laughs) Well, anyway, we are going to be talking about a location in Germany. We haven't done too many of these. So I'm looking forward to bringing this one to everybody. This is the Bobbenhausen Barracks, and they are in the town of Bobbenhausen quite haunted. Nice. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Elena, Kim, Emily, Sarah with an H, Sandy with an I, Nat, and Norma. Welcome to the crew, everybody. And now, this moment, Naughty. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Nancy Doy. CNN named the Forestier Underground Gardens as one of the world's coolest underground attractions, and the story behind its creation is fascinating. Baldessare Forestier was a Sicilian immigrant who arrived in Fresno, California in 1901 with a dream of pursuing citrus farming. Near his former home in Filari, Sicily, he had roamed the nearby ancient catacombs and marveled at the tunnels. He wondered if he could build something like that in Fresno, and he did after purchasing a worthless piece of land. Forestier grabbed a pick, shovel, and a wheelbarrow and set to work hand-digging the hard-pan sedimentary rock. For 40 years, he worked crafting a subterranean complex of patios, grottos, and garden courts that include a tiny chapel, kitchen, and living quarters. He was not a trained artist, but he built beautiful arches and stonework. The hard-working immigrant also managed to plant 10 acres of fruit-bearing trees and vines, up to 20 feet underground. There were lemon, grapefruit, and orange trees, and even wine and table grapes, kumquats, carob, jujube, and quince. Forestier did all of this while working full-time as a ditch digger. He managed to create for himself a cool oasis with underground gardens, and that certainly is odd. Pull the covers up tight. That chill you feel isn't the air. And now, this month in history.
in the month of July, on the 19th in 1799, a French soldier discovered the Rosetta Stone. A soldier under Napoleon was fighting in Egypt when he found a black stone that had broken off of a bigger stone slab. This was outside the city of Rosetta, and so it came to be known as the Rosetta Stone. This four-foot by two-and-a-half-foot stone was covered with writings in different scripts that included ancient Greek and Egyptian demotic and hieroglyphics. This actually led to scholars being able to decipher hieroglyphics. The message on the stone is actually rather mundane and is a decree that the priests of the temple in Memphis supported the king. After the British defeated the French in 1801, they took ownership of the Rosetta Stone and today it is at the British Museum. Bobenhausen is a town in Germany with a long history that reaches back over 800 years. Remnants of that past can still be seen today in the fortified city wall, witches' tower, and old churches. The town has been the scene of witch hunts and the rebirth of European Jewish life in a displaced person's camp. The Bobenhausen barracks is today a museum, but once served as a military post for Germans and Americans. There are stories of deaths here that have left behind a spiritual residue, and many people through the decades have experienced activity that they cannot explain. Join us as we share the history and haunts of the Bobenhausen Barracks. The town of Bobenhausen lies in the south of Hesse, near the big cities of Frankfurt and Darmstadt. This is a grassy region of Germany, and the town has a medieval core with a castle that dates back to the 12th century and an old fortified city wall from 1445. The town of Bobenhausen would get its charter in 1295 and was lorded over by the Hanu Munzenbergs and then the lords of Hanu in the 13th century. The name Bobenhausen would come from a minor line of the ruling family called the Hanu Lichtenberg, who ruled in 1458. This family would hold on for a long time until 1736. Then there was almost a war for power between two other factions, the Landgraves of Hesse-Darmstadt and the Hesse-Cassals. After three decades, Bobenhausen came to Hesse-Cassel, and then at the beginning of the 19th century, Bobenhausen belonged to Hesse-Darmstadt. The town would become the site of a UNRRA-sponsored DP camp for the Jews after World War II, and that DP means displaced persons. The town hosts a medieval harvest festival and Christmas market. That's one reason why I would like to go to Germany and do more than just hang out in the airport in Frankfurt, because that's all I've done. But you'd be cold. Mm, that's true. <laughs> that is true. But I've always wanted to see the Christmas market. Oh, I would love it. When we think of witch hunts, Salem, Massachusetts is usually the place to come to mind. Germany doesn't, but it should because the burning of witches at the stake was almost a sport here. And Germany is actually the country with the highest witchcraft execution rate in history. I was actually surprised to see that. I didn't realize. Heinrich Kramer was a German churchman and inquisitor, and he wrote Malleus Maleficarum, or Hammer of Witches, in 1487. This was an instruction manual for detecting witches and executing them. The church condemned the book and said it didn't reflect their teachings but it found wide distribution throughout Germany. 
And while the church didn't support him, he was asked by the Nuremberg Council in 1491 to share his expertise on conducting witch trials. Thousands of women and children across Germany were tortured and burned at the stake, until the Enlightenment brought it all to an end. Many towns in Germany have witch towers, which were part of medieval town walls or castles that were used as a prison or dungeon. There is one in Babenhausen, and witch hunts did happen in this town. Fun fact, a craft beer here is called the Hex, or witch, and features the local witch tower on the label. One of the reasons that witch hunts started is thought to be not only for economic issues connected to grain price fluctuations, but also the spread of Protestantism. Between 1500 to 1660, up to 80,000 accused witches were put to death in Europe. I mean, that is a huge number when that we is think really about the Salem number. witch trials and how bad that was. And of course, here we didn't burn anybody at the stake, but they sure were doing that over there. Very scary. One of the legends of Babenhausen is that a woman was burned at the stake here in the 19th century and that she left behind a curse. Part of that curse was her seducing soldiers and leading them to their deaths. But there are also stories that as many as 50 women were imprisoned in the witch tower and then burned at the stake in the marketplace. So I don't know exactly to what depths Babenhausen went with the witch hunts, but clearly something was going on here. And they called them witch towers for a reason, because that's where they imprisoned the women. Exactly. And as was the case in Salem, we know that the people there weren't actually witches or doing any of that kind of thing. At most, maybe some of them were making tinctures or some kind of herbal remedies. But for the most part, this was to go after land, that kind of thing, if a woman was by herself. They didn't feel that it was right for her to have land and that kind of stuff. Well, here, it wasn't necessarily about land, but it was something going on with the grain prices. I don't know why. Yeah, it just made people start pointing fingers at each other, I guess. It all just seems very bizarre. It's hard to believe that something of that nature equated to having to burn women at the stake. The beginnings of the Bobbenhausen Caserna, or barracks, reaches all the way back to the year 1900. Prior to this year, three squadrons of the Red Dragoons had headquarters in Bobbenhausen, but they left in 1891. The Red Dragoons were a mounted infantry who got their name from a firearm called the Dragon, which was a small version of the blunderbuss similar in size to a pistol. It was basically like carrying around a, a musket that was the size of a pistol. With the Dragoons gone, Babenhausen not only needed a garrison for protection, but as we all know in communities that have military bases, they add a lot financially. The city council began negotiations with the German Reichstag, which was basically the German Parliament and War Department, and told them they would build a caserna for 500,000 Reichmarks if the War Department would agree to send three field artillery batteries to Bobbenhausen. The German Reichstag agreed to send the batteries if the town spent one million Reichmarks on the barracks and then gave the German Reich the option to acquire the barracks after 25 years. So basically, if you build this for double the price, right? <laughs> so I don't know if that meant make it bigger or what, why they wanted it to be a more expensive amount of money. Possibly more elaborate? I don't know. Maybe. The German Reich had formed in 1871, which was the German nation, and it would end in 1945. The listeners are probably familiar with the three separate periods of this time, which were the German Empire from 1871 to 1918, the Weimar Republic, which was from 1918 to 1933, and then, of course, Nazi Germany from 1933 to 1945. Bobbenhausen's council bought 10 acres of land and prepared it for the construction of the barracks, which began on July 3, 1900. By October 1, 1901, there were 21 buildings completed and a water tower. Shortly thereafter, the 2nd Battalion of the 61st Field Artillery Regiment of the Grand Duke of Hessen was moved into the barracks and the city had its garrison. Things would be peaceful until 1914, 
when Germany would declare war on Russia because Germany was an ally of Austria-Hungary, whose heir to the throne, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, had been assassinated by a Serbian nationalist group known as the Black Hand. Russia was allied with Serbia. Before long, most of Europe had taken sides with Germany, Italy, and Austria-Hungary on one side, and France, Britain, and Russia on the other. This was the start of World War I. As an aside, one has to wonder what was the purpose of this war. Did the world really start the war to end all wars because someone was assassinated? Most war historians use the acronym M-A-I-N to explain what happened, and these letters stand for Militarism, Alliances, Imperialism, and Nationalism. I wanted to include that because, you know, I got to thinking, I haven't really considered why did World War I start? Why was it fought? Clearly, we all know what was going on with World War II, and that needed to be fought and needed right. to be stopped. But here we didn't have, like, some crazy person who managed to get an entire country to decide they want to take over the world. There was a lot of other things going on here. It was basically almost like somebody threw a rock at somebody else and everybody took sides on the playground and decided to have a war. That's kind of the way that I look at it. But they're clearly showing, you know, you said that you were my ally, so if I go in and fight, you got to have my back. Right. A few days after declaring war on Russia, Germany opted for a two-front war and declared war on France on August 3rd, 1914. They weren't satisfied. Just go after one. Let's go after two big countries. This then brought Britain into the war. The regiment at Babenhausen was ordered to head to France on August 7th. This left the barracks empty, and so it was used as a human and veterinary hospital. When World War I ended, the 61st Field Artillery returned to Babenhausen in December 1918, but then was deactivated. The hospitals followed a few months later, and the barracks was abandoned. In 1920, a French infantry battalion moved in for a month, and then the 2nd Battalion, 35th Reichswehr Regiment, moved in to the Caserna. This was a military group of the Weimar Republic. The Treaty of Versailles on September 30, 1920, forced the regiment to leave, and a security group and non-military group moved in. They stayed until 1929, when the property was abandoned yet again. Germany had schools that specialized in sports, and these were called the SA Sports School. The Bobbenhausen Barracks would become the home for one until April of 1935, when all of these schools were disbanded and the German 36th Field Artillery Regiment was stationed here. This barracks had a lot of groups coming through it, and this would continue as the world moved towards World War II. The next group to arrive was a horse riding school for the German cavalry, and after they trained, they headed for Danzig on November 14, 1939. World War II had started two months earlier. The German Luftwaffe, which was a German air force, took up residence and were there until late 1944, and a maintenance company came in and eventually used part of the barracks for a POW camp that included 400 soldiers. The United States Army liberated the camp on March 25, 1945. It was decided that the Caserne would serve as a good place for displaced Jews to be housed, and German POWs were kept here too through October 1946. Other displaced people were brought in that included Poles, Estonians, Lithuanians, Latvians, and Russians. The United States shared the running of this with the United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration, and this continued until 1950. In 1951, the United States military did some major overhauling. They added a new water tower and apartments in 1951, and this became a semi-permanent U.S. military post with a 36-filled artillery group moving in. They also shared space with the German Flying Club, LSC. Construction continued into the 1960s as the military added tennis courts, more housing, a gymnasium, elementary school, and another airfield with hangars. The city of Bobenhausen eventually sold the Caserna to the German government, and the U.S. Army stayed on using the barracks as support for Operation Desert Storm August 1990 to May 1991. 
The base eventually started deactivating in 2005, and the U.S. military handed off the caserna completely to the German government with a special closing ceremony honoring 56 years of U.S. American and 106 years of military presence in the Bobbenhausen Barracks. Today it serves as a museum. There are many who claim that the barracks are haunted. There are several buildings on the property, but most stories center on the HQ building. Around the property, sightings of soldiers in Nazi uniforms have been reported. These soldiers are usually in a regiment and seen marching. Soldiers claimed that doors opened and closed on their own, and that there were intense cold spots. One of the weirder stories claims that soldiers would pick up a ringing phone and hear a woman's voice on the other end, and she would be speaking backwards. That is the strangest thing I've ever <laughs> heard. Really Why odd. would she be speaking backwards? No idea. The most common occurrence is a sound of disembodied footsteps. The HQ building has the story of a young German woman connected to it whom people call Miss Mueller. This woman was engaged to a German artillery soldier who was stationed here at the barracks, and she sadly had to see him off to war. He was ordered to go to France to fight on the front lines during World War I, but he didn't want to go, and he went AWOL with three of his buddies. They didn't go far, though. They actually stayed on the base, and Miss Mueller hid them in the attic of the HQ building. She would sneak them food and water. Things went fine for a couple of days, but someone got suspicious and followed her on one of her food deliveries, and the four deserters were found. They were brought before the military command and sentenced to die by firing squad. The executions were carried out, and a devastated Miss Mueller threw herself from the top of the HQ building. At the moment she died, the clock on the building's tower stopped. The clock remained broken, and soldiers started experiencing strange things in the building from unexplained noises to seeing apparitions. Now, here's the really weird thing. That legend about the one supposed witch that was executed and left behind a curse that killed some soldiers, Kelly? Well, there's a story told about a Fra Mueller that was accused of killing three men with sorcery, so she was executed. Huh. So I don't know if that's a legend that grew into this German woman who was hiding these officers and throwing herself off of a building or what, because this was in the 17th century. Then in 1843, a relative of Fra Mueller was stoned to death during another witch hunt and her boyfriend died from a mysterious cause soon thereafter. In 1920, a soldier was engaged to a girl with the last name Mueller, and he committed suicide jumping from the fifth floor of the HQ building. His fiancée left town and was never seen again after that. So there are some weird stories connected to this Miss Mueller. I don't know if it's a common German name, and that's why there's so many of them with that same last name, but it's like through several years, almost, I'd say three centuries... It's very interesting, to be sure. Yeah, Miss Mueller has come up. So I don't know if this is just a story that they've updated as we get into more current times to have the story go with what's going on at the time. Just very bizarre. Jack Bauman wrote an article for Stars and Stripes magazine back in 1974 about the disturbances happening in the HQ building. The 41st Field Artillery was stationed here at the time, and Major Roy Highsmith claimed that he had footsteps coming from the 4th and 5th floors at night when no one was up there. This was the location of education offices, and there would be no reason for anyone to be in those rooms. Highsmith said, One night I was working late, and I kept feeling the sensation that someone was staring at me outside in the hall. The door opened several times, but it probably was the wind. I lifted my head several times because I thought I saw someone walk by the door. No one was there when I went to look out. I could have sworn I heard someone walking down the hall. Bauman also wrote about the experiences of Sergeant Michael Wilson, who was on night duty and heard sounds from the upper floors as well. He said, Between 1.30 and 2 a.m., I heard the steps coming from above, so I went upstairs to check it out. It was very distinct. There wasn't anybody up there, so I came down again. 
Two or three minutes later, it happened all over. As soon as I got up to the fourth floor, it stopped, so I went down again. I heard the noises for a third time, but I didn't bother with it. From 2 until 5.30 a.m., I heard the toilets flushing, desk being pushed around, and running sounds. It was really strange. That sound of furniture moving around is also a common occurrence. Bauman went on to share in his article that a couple of staffers for Stars and Stripes decided to stay the night in the HQ building. They checked all the windows and doors and made sure they were locked. They surveyed the fourth and fifth floors and made sure that no one was on those floors. They stationed an armed guard on the second floor. I guess they want to make sure nobody's sneaking in here and making any noises. Messing around. And I love that this was happening back in the 70s. So this is before we had all of our ghost shows out there. There were these staffers from Stars and Stripes that were like, we've heard it's haunted. Let's go hang out there and see what happens. There was no way anybody could be on the upper floors unless they went up the outside fire escape. The first night was completely quiet and they got no evidence. Undeterred, they investigated for a second night. Disembodied footsteps started at 1 a.m. The noises picked up at 2 a.m., which was the experience of many soldiers in this building. There were footsteps and scraping noises. But upon investigation, nothing was ever found. A Captain Norman R. Cherry actually saw something. He said, I came up here one night to pick up some papers. It was about 9.15 p.m. On the way out of the office, I turned the lights out, walked down the hallway, locked the hallway door, and glanced over my shoulder. I saw a shadow walking down the hall towards me. Could this have been the soldier that had thrown himself from the fifth floor? An interesting thing about that story is that when the military investigated the death, they found the bodies of five men who had been reported missing in the attic. We could find nothing about how they died. Which again makes me look back to the woman who was Miss Mueller taking care of these guys that were AWOL in the attic. Right. Is that somehow connected to that too? It sounds like it would be. And how do you have five dead people up there for any amount of time (laughs) and all of a sudden they discover them and they're like, oh, well, we didn't find what we were looking for, but we found some dead bodies. Random. Another soldier said, my office was on the fourth floor, as were the offices for the group commander, XO, CSM, S1, adjutant, and PIO. I would always hear footsteps and things being moved, but never gave them a thought. At night, all floors were locked, and the only people in the building were the officer and NCO pulling staff duty, and they were always behind locked doors because the group had nukes assigned. At times, I would even catch something out of the corner of my eye, either walking past my office door or standing in the doorway. At first, I would get up to see who was there, but nobody ever was. The best stories by far came from a man named Bob Weaver and were shared on the OnPost website, and I do have a link in our show notes. Here are his eyewitness accounts, and these seem to include the ghost hunt conducted by Stars and Stripes. I arrived in Germany in January 1972 and was assigned to the 283 FA service battery as a supply sergeant. My primary MOS was supply, but my secondary was personnel. The battalion personnel sergeant soon discovered my secondary MOS and pulled me up to battalion to be his assistant. About a year later, I was transferred to 41st group to be the group personnel sergeant PSNCO. I told you I'd served a previous tour at Bobbenhausen, which was back in 1961 to 1964. During that tour, I heard many stories about the Fra Mueller ghost. So here he's heard this story. 
and the German soldiers that died in the old headquarters building, but I never really gave them much thought. I heard those same stories when I returned here in 1972 and still did not think much about them. I've always been the type that gets very little sleep, and back then I would just get up and go into work. This was usually about 3 a.m. The only people in the HQ building at night would be the people working in the education center and the staff duty personnel. Once the education center classes were over, which was around 10 each night, the two people left in the building were the staff duty personnel, and they were always behind locked doors. The 41st Group had nuclear weapons assigned, which meant only officers and NCOs with a secret crypto clearance could pull staff duty. And because only a few of us had that high a clearance, the total number of people available to pull that duty was never more than six or seven of each. This meant we pulled staff duty every few days. This also meant that it gave everyone ample opportunity to hear the sounds coming from the fifth floor. While some were willing to talk about their experiences, others refused. And one captain in particular, after having his own personal experience with the ghost, refused to go into the building alone at night. What happened scared him so bad that he had to be transferred to V Corp HQ. Whenever I would go into the office at night, I would always hear the sound of people walking on the floor above me and the sounds of things being moved around. I could also hear the faint sound of people talking. I could never understand what was being said, but it did sound like talking. I would also hear someone walking around the hall outside my office and, from time to time, I would catch movement out of the corner of my eye. Each time I checked, there was nobody there. Again, there we are seeing things out of the corner of the eye. One night, while I was working on a promotion board I had set up for the next day, I thought I spotted someone standing in the doorway. When I looked up, no one was there. What was there was the sound of someone walking down the hallway. I jumped up and ran to the door, but nothing was there. I looked outside, but no one came out, and there was no one in any of the offices. I shrugged it off and went back to work. Things like this happened all the time. I might add that the bottom of American combat boots were made of rubber, and while they made a loud sound when you walked on wooden floors, they were not as loud as the sound of a German hobnailed combat boot. These were the type of boots used by the German army and were the type of boots worn back in the early 1900s when the ghost stories began. Interesting. I think that is really interesting. So there would be no reason why there'd be a German soldier walking in that, you know, around those offices and stuff. In early 1974, we had a new PIO clerk assigned. A few months later, he came to me and asked if I knew anything about the female ghost. I told him what I knew about the Frau Mueller story, and he said he had been doing his own investigation and discovered the story was well known and that the local Bobbenhausen newspaper even did a story several years ago on the ghost. He mentioned that he had a friend who worked for Stars and Stripes and that he wanted to do a story. He came to me a few days later and asked if they could do a ghost hunt in the building. He said it would only be him, his friend, and a professor from West Texas College. He asked if I could be there as well, and even asked if I could get people who had never had experiences with the ghost to attend. I received approval from the group CO, and the stage was set. We set everything up for the following Friday night. Everyone met in the CSM's office around 7 p.m. Back then, we had none of the ghost hunting equipment they do today, so the only thing we had was a still camera and a tape recorder. And I'm sure they're not talking about like the recorders we have. <laughs> I'm certain it wasn't. Our plan was simple. We would go to the fourth floor once the education center closed and check each room. We locked every window in each office and closed and locked every door leading into the hallway. We also closed and locked all windows facing the street. He obviously had a picture with this story. He said, if you look at the picture, you can see there are no fire escapes on any floor. The only way in or out of the building was by that one staircase. As we left the floor, we closed and locked the swinging glass doors. The door to the attic was already locked, and the key was kept across the street in another building. We went back to the CSM's office to wait. 
To make sure we made little sound, we all took off our shoes and only spoke in whispers. That would have been a perfect night for a ghost hunt as it was stormy, windy, and rainy all night. As luck would have it, nothing happened. A couple of weeks later, the PIO clerk came to me again and asked if we could try one more time. I got permission and we set it up for that Friday night. That night we met again and went through the same routine. The weather was great. It was warm with no wind or rain. After checking everything, we went back to the CSM's office to wait. While there, the SNS reporter asked several questions and began writing his story. The college professor told us that he had always been interested in the paranormal and that Hans Holzer was one of his favorite authors. As I also liked Mr. Holzer, the two of us struck up a conversation about the paranormal. As the night went on, nothing happened. About 2 a.m., I decided to make some coffee, and the SNS reporter and I walked down the hall to where our coffee pot was located. After starting the coffee, he and I were standing there talking about the ghost stories when we began to hear the distinct sound of several people walking on the floor above us. We walked into the hallway to tell the others what we had heard, but they heard the same noise and were coming out of the office. So it's like they all kind of met in the hallway and were like, did you hear that? So clearly none of them were making the noises. Dude, run. (laughs) Sorry. I'm so bad about that. We stood there for several minutes listening to the sounds coming from the fourth floor. The funny thing was that everyone wanted to be on a real ghost hunt, but nobody really wanted to go upstairs to see what the noise was. (laughs) They wanted something to happen, but they didn't. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I hope something shows or does something, but oh my God, if it does, I'm out of here. I'm out. (laughs) So the reporter and I decided to go up and see for ourselves. The others stayed in the office where the coffee pot was. I guess they really wanted a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. We got to the fourth floor and found the glass door still locked. Looking down the hallway, we could tell all the offices were still locked. I unlocked the doors and we went in. We went into the room directly over the room we had been in below and I dialed the phone number in that office. As I was dialing, the reporter said he could feel the room get colder. I could too, but did not say anything. I actually thought we might be a little scared. (laughs) Is that why he thought they were feeling cold? Yeah, you don't say. Anyway, the professor answered the phone and I asked if he could hear anything. He said they could all clearly hear someone walking down the hallway and in the room where we were standing. I told him to listen while I put the receiver down and we went through each office. All the doors were locked and as we went inside each room, we found the windows still locked as well. We relocked the doors and checked the windows facing the street. They too were locked. We went back to the office and the reporter picked up the receiver. He told the professor what we found and asked if they could still hear anything. They could. He stopped and told me they could clearly hear several people walking down the hallway and into the office where we were. I walked into the hallway but saw nothing. However, I could plainly hear footsteps coming down the hall. I was about to turn and say something to the reporter when I saw a shadow go by me on the left. The reporter saw it too, dropped the receiver, and ran into the hallway. There was nothing there, but it had gotten very cold. We went back into the room, and as I leaned on a desk that was against the wall, something rocked the room and tossed me against the opposite wall. Yikes. Yeah, so we're not just hearing footsteps now. Something is physically touching this guy. And these are people who are skeptical, don't really think anything's happening. The spirit needs a Snickers. (laughs) Maybe. He's angry. (laughs) It felt like something heavy had been thrown against the wall in the next office. I can tell you that it scared the hell out of me. I mustered up as much courage as I could and walked into the hallway. The office door next to us was locked, but the light inside was on, and I could clearly make out the shadows of someone moving inside. I called for the reporter, but he was so scared he would not move. Oh, no. I had to have someone else come upstairs because I was too scared to open that door by myself. The person who had never heard the stories and did not believe in ghosts came up. 
That's probably a good person to have, actually. Yeah, I would think so. We opened the door and were immediately hit with a blast of very cold air. I think he became a believer right then. The room was freezing to the point you could see your breath, but it almost immediately went back to warm. I wonder if the ghost, like, passed through them or went by them or something. Sounds like that might have been what happened. We could see nothing out of place and nothing that would have made that noise. I turned off the light and locked the door. We went back downstairs to talk about what we saw and heard. Rest of the night, we could hear movement upstairs and one or two even said they could hear crying. I never heard that. The next morning, Saturday, we decided to call it a day. A few days later, we were hit with a 7th Army alert, which meant we had to load up and move out to our holding areas. The alert came about 1 a.m., and we were in our positions, which were just outside the caserna, by 5 a.m. Later, the Group XO sent a young captain back in to get some papers he left in his office. As the captain turned to lock the swinging glass doors, he saw a dark shadow coming down the hallway towards him. He had only been there a short time and did not know about the ghost, and the SNS article had not yet been published. But when he saw the shadow, he forgot the door and ran out of the building. When he got back to the area, he was as white as a ghost and shaking all over. He told everyone what he had seen and refused to enter the building again. When he ran out of the building, he dropped the XO's papers. My boss and I went back in to retrieve everything, and when we got there, we could tell the captain had left in a hurry because everything was on the floor and the keys were still in the lock. A few days later, the story was published. It was even on the front page. Once the story came out, people began coming forward with their own stories. A German paranormal TV show came out and did a segment for German TV, and several German newspapers did stories. I had several more experiences with the ghost, but as it never bothered me, I saw no reason to bother it. I can agree with that. Definitely. An interesting footnote in the subject happened about two months before I was due to come back home. My replacement came in early, and once I broke him in, I asked to go over to the two-fifths FA because they did not have a PSNCO. One day, my replacement came over, and I could tell something was not right. I asked what the problem was, and he asked if I knew anything about the ghost. I told him the story, and he said he'd been hearing the same noises. It apparently got to him so bad that he almost had a breakdown and had to be reassigned back to the States. Good grief. I was asked to extend my tour a year, but already had an assignment, and my family was ready to go home, so I left. I did manage to keep in touch with some of the guys there, and they reported several more ghostly experiences. I always wanted to go back and do a real ghost hunt there just to see if what I experienced was real. Well, certainly sounds like it was real, just based upon what he reported. Yeah, so I love that he shared those experiences. I'm assuming that the guy he's talking about that was doing the story is this uh, Bauman that we had been talking about uh, earlier. Mr. Art Muscle commented on a video about the barracks on YouTube. I was stationed there from 71 to 73 and was a medic. We heard all kinds of crazy sounds in the dispensary at night when we had to pull our 24-hour duty. We even recorded some of the stuff. I was mopping the floor one night, and as I was backing up to the stairs leading to the basement while mopping, someone grabbed the bottom of my pants cuff and yanked my leg backwards. I laughed and thought one of my friends was messing with me, but when I turned around, no one was there. The hair stood up on the back of my neck, and every time I had to pull all-night duty after that, I put the desk in the corner of the room and sat with my back to the corner all night until someone showed up the next morning. So apparently the dispensary has some hauntings going on too. And that's all I could find. I don't know if anybody going through the museums nowadays hears or feels anything, if people working there do. That's pretty much most of the experiences went back to the 70s, and it was American soldiers who were reporting them. There might be some stuff out there in the German press, but it's in German, so. <laughs> You're not able to read that? Yeah, a little no? hard to get that, okay. but. 
Sounds like there's some crazy stuff going on at this barracks. And really, there's not a whole lot of reports of death. So I don't know. Is it residual stuff going on or what? It sounds intelligent, at least based the upon one that what picked was him said. up and threw him. Yeah. yeah. Bobbenhausen Barracks had an active military life and has many legends connected to it. And also many people who've had unexplained experiences. These are military people, so they don't seem the type to be given to fanciful stories. So their stories are considered more reliable. Is the Bobbenhausen Barracks haunted? That, that is, is for you, you to decide. decide. Oh, I just uh, love stories about this. And this was a place that I just kind of stumbled across. I was looking for haunted places in Berlin and was having a heck of a time finding anything. They had all these stories where they'd say, this place is haunted. And then you'd go to look no at the stories and there was nothing to go with it. And I'm like, okay, well, great. But why is it haunted and by who? Okay, thanks. And then all of a sudden this popped up and I found the article that was in the Stars and Stripes. And then I saw this, the other experiences that people had had and stuff. And I was like, oh, let's do this one. This sounds like a lot of fun, especially since it had witch hunts connected to it, too. Definitely. Gave us a chance to talk about witch hunts over there in Europe. I want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Aaron had written in the crew, a conversation with a coworker today reminded me of a follow-up I wanted to share. I had previously shared a story about my son seeing a monster or a ghost at the top of our stairs. Everyone at my house had discussed how there was a bit of an eerie feeling up there, but there's also a lot of electrical boxes, so maybe that's just it. I will admit that I would walk by and look for a dark figure at the top of the stairs every time I passed myself. Well, about two months ago, we're all sitting at home, of course, and my roommate tells me, well, those ashes are finally out of the house. I look at her and then look at my husband, and we both turn back to her and go, what ashes? She said, the ashes of my friend that passed. We were going to spread her ashes, but have been waiting for a time to go to the location she had chosen. A friend took her ashes to be spread about a month ago. We both looked at her and said, You never told us there were ashes in the house. How long have they been here? Since we moved in, she said. WTF. At this point, I (laughs) laughed and told her she couldn't bring any more ashes into the house without telling us first. Yeah, right. So the next day, I tell my stepdaughter who lives up there about the ashes. And she said, I thought it felt nicer up there than it had. I said, now that you mention it, I haven't been feeling as creeped out either. And my son hadn't mentioned it in a while. But I figured he had outgrown a face. So it makes you wonder, was that girl connected to her ashes and just was going to hang out until she got some peace and they Possibly. got moved to where she wanted them? If I found out that somebody had ashes in the house where I was living and I didn't know about it, I'd be saying, excuse me? <laughs> Say what? <laughs> kind of a need to know basis. So we also got an email from Logan's mom. And you guys probably remember that Logan had sent us some comments, I think about a month ago, a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, she'd said that uh, we've been on several tours in various states and we've gotten some activity and responses, most in St. Augustine when we caught a little girl in the trees right by the lighthouse. My hair is standing on end as I type this. Interesting. Yeah. And they also got peace from a word box contraption. That's what she called it, by <laughs> spirit box, when singing a Christmas carol in Spanish at the jail, which is now an antique store. It was pretty incredible. I had a complete conversation with a 16-year-old Tim about candies over a karaoke bar that had a very tragic history. It was wild to say the least. I've had a lot of exceptional things happen since my dad and both grandparents who were like second parents to me passed in my early teens. That will need to be another email. We'd love to hear them. Definitely. And then she shared this fun story. Fun fact, my husband is an ER doctor and he minored in archaeology. He had the opportunity to do underwater excavating in Sisera back in college, and his dive partner for the month was a character of a guy named 
Josh Gates. Everyone on the team joked with him about what he was going to do with a double major in history and drama. He even choreographed their end-of-month play. Well, guess he got the last laugh. So awesome seeing such a fantastic and genuine soul enjoying such success. That's so cool. I know. I love that. My uncle was uh, college buddies with Kevin Costner. So it's just fun when you hear these college stories about people who are, you know, knew somebody before they were famous. Definitely. Well, you guys have known us before we were famous because we're not really all that famous either. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Robin Walters for her one-time donation. And welcome into the cemetery, Crafty Amal. You will be buried under a marble headstone. And I assume that you're pretty crafty. Thank you so much for supporting the show, you two. It really helps us to produce the show. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com. Spooktacular people? Oh, I guess you're starting it, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Fire away, Kelly. Let's really blow their minds and have you start the episode. (laughs) I'm not doing it. I ain't doing that. I need TP for my bunghole. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. We we haven't even started the show yet. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm going to have to do the deeper one. I can't do it. (laughs) You said bungle. (laughs) Good grief. It's going to be an interesting one. After the British defeated the French in 1801, they took ownership of the Rosetta Stone, and today it is at the British Museum. And to think I thought it was just something that taught you how to speak different languages. I'm I'm kidding. I'm (laughs) kidding. I'm kidding. Clearly not something you can just buy off the internet. Join us as we share the history and haunts of the Bob and Howard. <laughs> I just put the punctuation on that. <laughs> I didn't realize. Was that German? <laughs> Better go back to the Rosetta Stone. I think you didn't read. Achtung, baby. You didn't learn is it. Is that right. German? I don't remember. <laughs> Achtung, yes, I believe that is. Nine. I am German too, and I, I know very, very well. So little. am I. And, oh, I hate their food. I'm not a fan of sauerkraut. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I don't like brats or anything. I like brats. (laughs) He made a face. Join us as we share the history and haunts of the Baba Hauser. Now I can't say it. It's the Baba (laughs) Hauser. Join us as we share the history and haunts of the Bobbenhausen barracks. I'm waiting for one of us to say the Babadook. The town of Bobbenhausen lives. Lives? The town (laughs) lives. Lives there. (laughs) Lives and breathes and. This is going to be a long episode. Oh my God, I have a lot of editing to do. Got a lot of editing to do. Yep.
Shortly thereafter, the 2nd Battalion of the 61st Field Artillery. I'm going to fire some artillery. The 2nd Battalion of the 61st Field Artillery. Now I can't say it. To explain what happened, and these litter... Litters? These litters stand for... Oh, man, oh, man. And these letters stand for militarism. I, I can't. I can't speak today. I can't, I can't speak. Kelly, we put a microphone in front of you and you can't speak. That's I know. just what the way the way it goes. Pretty much. That's the way the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. Clearly I can't speak either, so anybody can make a podcast. <laughs> and then the second battalion thirty fifth Reichwarg. Reichwar? I guess that's I how you say know. that. <laughs> Sorry, it's definitely German. The Reichwar Reichwar Schweitzer. <laughs> I can't schwitz that thing. I'm a fuck. May the schwitz be with you. Okay, let's try it again. Reichwar. Reichwar? Reichwar? I don't know, babe. Reichwar. Then. Reichwar. Okay, Reichwar. That's how I'll say it. Don't choke to don't choke to but, death on your own phlegm there, Kelly. Yeah, there was, my throat's dry, but like my esophagus <laughs> closed up. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Try to take a deep breath and it just shut down. Here I go flying across the laptops to do the Heimlich. The college professor... Professor. Shush, shush, shush. The professor. He is yes. We're shush, shush, shush. Bye-bye. You're going to do it with me? I'm like... <laughs> the, uh, uh, uh. You going to say it with me? Say it with me, babe. Bye-bye. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.